Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. Back at it. Welcoming your lawn and garden questions here on this Saturday morning. We're around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour for our Smart Garden Show. Nice to have you with us. And it's even nicer that I can reconnect with our friend Mary Meyer. U of M uh, faculty member of the Extension Division there. Mary, it's great to hear from you again. Hear your voice, Denny. Great to be on the Smart Garden Show this morning. A wonderful uh, summer solstice day. That's right. I've heard two times, 443 and 444 (laughs) this afternoon. I'm not sure why there's a second discrepancy there. But, uh, yep, summer comes in, summer solstice this afternoon. And... uh, well, I don't know where you live. I know where you live, Mary, but I, I'm not sure what your yard looks like. Uh, it, it, it was really great seeing some rain the other day, and I know we're going to get some more here in the next uh, two days or so. Much needed rain in some parts of uh, CCO land, right? That's right. Much needed rain. That was really a welcome rain. And yes, it's great for lawns, great for gardens. We've had a warm summer so far. If you listen to Mark Seely with his Weather Talk uh, show, uh, yes, he was talking about the warm and windy days that we have had. Yes. Amazing to see some damage on plants actually from the wind. But uh, uh, next few days, really nice weather coming up for gardening outside. Perfect weather. Well, it's a perfect time, too, if you uh, want to call in or text in your lawn or garden question. For Mary, by all means, uh, the earlier the better, because as Mary knows, too, we get very busy here, and we certainly would like to help out as many people as we can. So call in your question or send a text, that same number for either, 651-989-9226. And uh, I should ask you, too, and we always like to to mention uh, the um, Arboretum, too, and I know with these crazy times we've been in in, in the last uh, two, three months or so. What, what's the situation at the uh, Arboretum right now as far as hours? Is it open? Is it not? What's the deal? Yes, the Arboretum is open. Uh, we have a little bit different mode of operation there, but the Arboretum is open. You go online. You need to make reservations in advance and get tickets. If you're a member, it's, of course, free for members. There's a $15 per person charge for adults. Uh, if you're not a member, but very easy to become a member, and then you can go there all summer. But you do need to make reservations online because we have a limited number of people that can come during the day. 
The hours are a little shorter. It's from 9 to 4, but you can reserve tickets in advance. It's a great idea to think ahead. If you want to go on the weekend, you want to go during the week, um, you can get tickets. You just need to do it in advance, and then you can go out, uh, park your car. You can take a, a walk around three-mile walk. Uh, we have three or four designated walk areas, but plenty of walking time out there and space as well at the Arboretum. So wonderful. Always things blooming at the Arboretum. The prairie is uh, looking beautiful now. And the roses, we have three or four different rose gardens, and they're looking beautiful. Uh, the annuals have been planted, so lots of things to see at the Arboretum. It's such a great resource. I'm glad I'm glad we talked about it. Well, we're getting a whole bunch of text messages right off the bat, Mary, so let's see if we can't uh, help out some folks this morning. First one that came in, uh, it says, I have ants in my yard. I've used the borax sugar water solution, but they just came right back. Uh, any suggestions? That's a tough one sometimes. Uh, you know, it is a tough one. Uh <laughs> Sometimes you can rake the area. Sometimes, ideally, if you find the queen, uh, you can destroy the queen ant, and that nest will then disperse. But of course, that's that's quite a challenge to find the queen uh, ant. Uh, other things that you can do: uh, hot water kills ants, but hot water, boiling water, will also kill your plants as well. So if you have ants on a sidewalk or a brick or or a brick walkway or something, you can use hot water. But if it's in your lawn, most people don't want to use hot water there because, as I said, the grass will die. But there are insecticides that are granular insecticides that you can put on an ant hill that will. Uh, stop the ants, uh, raking them. Otherwise, they're, you know, unless they get to be really big, large hills, uh, sometimes really you can just ignore them because they don't always do a great deal of damage to the uh, to, uh, to the lawn. I know I had uh, a similar issue a couple of years ago and uh, listening to you and your colleagues about the hot water. I did that on, uh, it was in my lawn, and you're right, it does. They were doing damage quite a bit. So what happened was I did the hot water thing. It worked. I just reseeded, put some uh, fresh soil and reseeded, and it grew back just fine. And they're not there. So at least that worked. <laughs> that Good. Time. Good to hear that, All Danny. Right. Let's grab a phone call from uh, Lynn in Minneapolis, I believe, will be first up here. Lynn, what is your question for Mary? Hi. <clears throat> I I live in an apartment, but I have seven almarillos that bloomed a long time ago but the leaves are still beautiful and green. Do I keep watering them or just stop watering them so they die or what? Yeah, so I think this is the amaryllis, the beautiful, uh, uh, huge big flower that so many of us enjoy during the winter time. Yes, you can grow those all summer long if you give them uh, good light, lots if people put those amaryllis outside some even plant them in the ground outside and then in the fall you want to bring them in uh give them a dormant period just bring them in and put them in your basement and then about uh christmas time uh 
you can bring them up. It's, it's about six or eight weeks from the time they start to grow again in the winter until they'll flower. But if you have room for them, I would just keep them growing uh, all summer, and then hopefully you can get them to flower again next year. It's, it's pretty easy to get them to flower if you've got full sun conditions. They're good. Texter wants to know, Mary, how often should one fertilize tomatoes that are in pots? Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. <laughs> um, so they're limited with the amount of um, soil, of course, because they're in a pot. So I do grow tomatoes in pots. I like to grow the, the cherry tomatoes, the small uh, pear ones, uh, because they're they're so uh productive and easy to grow in pots. But I use a slow-release fertilizer in the soil when I plant them. And then I use a liquid fertilizer um, about once a week uh, on them. So, uh, yeah, you can fertilize them quite a bit uh, when they're in a container. Very good. Tell you what let's do, Mary. Let's take a quick break and invite our listeners to join in on the conversation here on our Smart Garden Show. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. 651-989-9226. Back with more here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good morning. Good Saturday morning to you here on CCO. It's time for Lawn and Garden Talk. Smart Garden is the show. And Denny Long here with uh, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Let's give that uh, U of M website, Mary. I forgot to ask you about that. Oh, yes. It's extension.umn.edu, and then click on Yard and Garden. You can get lots of information there on on search any topic that you're interested in. You can also subscribe to the Yard and Garden newsletter that we have twice a month that goes out with timely articles. And there's also an article uh, or also a newsletter on uh, fruit and vegetables. It's more for commercial producers, but I was just reading it this morning because there's so many tips on uh, what to look for in diseases, what to look for uh, in insects, in our fruit and vegetable crops. I was using it just a few days ago to check on different types of shrubs, so it really is a, is a great resource. <laughs> Everything's there. Uh, te- it really is so much, so much information. Uh, extension.umn.edu. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. I believe Mike in St. Anthony has been waiting the longest here. Thank you, Mike. What's your question for Mary? Good morning. I really enjoy your show. Uh, my question is, I transplanted ferns last week. Um, they seem to have died. All their leaves have wilted and dried up. Should I trim them leaves up and keep watering them? Uh, yes, Mike. If the leaves are totally brown, you can take them off. Um, if there's still some green to them, I would just cut back partially those leaves. Uh, You know, it's a good idea when we're transplanting anything to cut back the tops of the plants. Uh, We can never get all the root system when we transplant something. So we try to compensate for that by taking back some of the top. So I usually cut the tops of plants back by uh, at least a third, maybe a half. So if anything's green, I would uh, cut off a little bit of it. Uh, But if it's brown, you can take that off. Now, the ferns might come back again next year because uh, if you've got some of the root system, they'll often come back in the spring. Uh, This was tough time to transplant anything. Those winds that we had were really difficult on new transplants. But hopefully uh, they'll still be alive for you. All right. Thank you. 
Thanks, Mike. Uh, Texter says this, Mary, uh, this year my plants are loaded with, I'm not sure if this is a typo or not, four, well, plant bugs, a certain type of bugs, and they're destroying my garden. What do I do? Where do they come from? We have numerous gardens, and only one garden is affected. Question is, could they have come in from plants purchased from a garden store? Uh, yes, that's possible. There is a four-lined plant bug. That's what it is. A, a nondescript name, yeah. Uh, but that makes a very distinctive pattern on of damage on leaves. Uh, they actually look like tiny little round dots, but they don't go all the way through the leaf, but very uh, almost perfect little circles, indentations on the leaf. So the four-line plant bug is difficult to find the bug. Usually what we see is the damage, and sometimes by that time, the insect itself is already gone. Um, Yes, it is possible it came in on plants that you purchased, but uh, I would go to the extension.umn.edu website and search for four-lined plant bug because usually it's a preventative treatment to control that, and once you see all the damage, the insect has already left. So it might be too late to do anything. However, this is usually not fatal. Usually looks bad, but usually not fatal. Well, that's good news. Four-lined plant bug. All right. Right. Uh, Let's go back to the uh, phones, Mary. I believe Jane is calling in from Columbia Heights this morning. Jane, you're on with Mary. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. And I think you've already answered my question. I have some stelladoral lilies. Uh, daylilies that have exploded and are shading other perennials that are struggling. And so my question was, is it too late to transplant or divide these, or should I just tough it out till next spring? Well, Stelladora is one of the things, Jane, that is really uh, a really tough plant. Um, so daylilies and hosta are the two perennials I do almost whenever I want to because <laughs> they're just really tough plants. They've also got a root system that's more like our fingers instead of our hair. So they can take the transplanting really well. Um, if I were you, I'd wait till Stellador is done blooming just because the, the blooms do take quite a bit of energy from the plant. But um, again, I would cut that back in half when you're the foliage when you transplant it uh, to help with the to compensate for the root loss. But yeah, daylilies are tough enough; you can do them almost any time. Very good. Texture says my rosebush leaves uh, and flowers were totally eaten by sawfly larvae. Will the plant recover? And any special care should I be, they be taken care of? Any any ideas? Yes, I've seen quite a bit of that damage uh, this spring. And there again, once a lot of it is done, it's, it's too late to actually do a preventative, which we put down before the insects come out. Um, hopefully your roses have enough energy that they will put out additional leaves. And it's early, and especially now that we have had some rain, it's very likely if you've got established roses, um, they will come back and come out again. All right, good. Before we break, let's go back to the phones, if we may. Uh, John, I think, is calling from Minneapolis. John, you're on CCO with Mary. Hi, thank you for taking my call. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a magnolia tree that's about um, 25 feet tall, and I believe it's got scale on it uh, just from doing some searching on different websites. Um, what is the treatment for it now? The leaves are sticky, and uh, some of the branches are turning gray. Yes. That's a very difficult problem, John, with the magnolia scale. Unfortunately, that can be devastating and a fatal, uh, fatal problem with, uh, with magnolia. Um, there's the only treatment I know to be successful is the chemical systemic insecticide. Uh, and this is the insecticide that does damage pollinators. So you have to really debate if you want your magnolia tree um, or not. But uh, that systemic insecticide is uh, something you put on around the soil, and then the plant takes that up. It's a granular form usually, and the plant takes that up, and then that will kill the scale insecticide insect. You might have to use that two seasons in order to uh, get rid of it. Now, another treatment you can try, uh, this isn't as effective, but, uh, and especially if it's only on part of the plant, is you can use a very strong water spray with a hose and try to wash those scale insects off. To, to try to really drown them off the plant, you can attempt that. But uh, that insecticidal soap, you could try that as well. Uh, if neither of those work, then the only other uh, thing is the chemical uh, systemic insecticide. So that's the scale insect didn't used to be bad for us on magnolia, but unfortunately that has become quite uh, prevalent. So um, it, that can be serious. And so I'd try the water first, and good luck. All right. Very good. Let's take a quick break here. We have a look at that forecast, see if we're expecting any more rain. So, Mary, hang on. We have another half hour of the show to go. It is the Smart Garden Show, heard every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Stay with us. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on WCCO. Back uh, 8 o'clock hour every Saturday. Hope you can join us from time to time and send in your questions uh, via text or a phone call. Same number, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. Mary Myers with us from the U of M this morning, helping us out. Uh, Mary, we have callers as usual. We have texters as well. So let's uh, put you back to work here. Ken, I think, is uh, first up here and uh, calling in from Blaine. Ken, what's your question for Mary? Good morning. Uh, I have uh, Jack in the pulpits, and they are they spreading like crazy. Um, I have a couple questions. I know that um, they get uh, red berries in the fall, I guess, would be, and that, I'm assuming that those are the seeds, but I was also asking if uh, they can be um, transplanted or so I could maybe share with somebody else some of the plants. Um, yes, Ken, you can do that. You can transplant them. You wait until the red seeds are on there. This, the, red, the, the seeds come uh, in another month or six weeks, uh, yeah, through, through the summer. Once they're totally red and ripe, uh, you can disperse those seeds, and I've done that myself, and you can really move a lot of, increase the number of jack-in-the-pulpits that you have, and yes, you can transplant them. Um, I would consider transplanting them 
uh, late in the fall, right as they're going uh, dormant before they uh, actually uh, die down. Uh, they do die down, tend to die down later in the summer. So um, you might want to mark the biggest, best clumps that you have. Just keep those in mind uh, to move them in the fall. They're a little bit, sometimes they're a little bit slow to come up in the spring. Uh, depending on where they are. But, yes, you can transplant them or you can uh, propagate them with seeds. Very good. Uh, Texter says this, Mary, arborvitae bushes were badly damaged from heavy snow, partly dead. Do you think they might be revivable? If so, how? Well, you could try pruning them. Um, The branches that are dead are going to look brown because uh, the arborvitae is an evergreen And so if it's got brown foliage, that's obviously a sign that it's dead. So I would prune off, excuse me, I'd prune off anything that's dead. And then um, if there's enough life there, the pruning can help stimulate new growth and have it come back. So this is a good time to do the pruning between now and uh, mid-July. So you'll just have to decide, you know, is it going to be a weird-looking distorted plant or is the growth going to come back so that you'll like it? And you might not be able to tell until next spring, actually, how much life there still is in the plant. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Uh, Bloomington is uh, our destination. I think Robin is there with a question. Robin, you're on CCO with Mary. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Mary. I've got uh, raspberries in my yard, and I've noticed that I'm getting uh, an insect in there that is damaging them. It's uh, it's about three quarters of an inch long. It's black, and it's got a. a it looks like it's got a um, uh, a rust-colored head, and it's making two circles on my raspberry, and then the top dies. Do you know what that bug is? I've got. Oh, my gosh, I don't. I don't. And you did such a good job describing it. Um, so I would uh, I would go to the uh, raspberry section of extension.umn.edu, and I would look for insect damage and, uh, yeah, or raspberry insect images and see what comes up, if you can match that up. You can also take a picture of this insect. And you can mail it into Ask a Master Gardener. Oh. And we can, yeah, and we can try to identify it for you. And I would really do that. I try to identify what this insect is before you try doing any uh, control. Okay, um, I, I can't do anything like that. I, I'm trying to get rid of it because it's doing a lot of damage. So the damage you see is actually, are the leaves eaten or is actually a stem bore? So a, a stem. It, it, it makes two circles on the stem and then the top oh, dies. Yeah, so there is a raspberry cancer that can be a problem. Uh, right. And there are controls and management for that for the cane borer at extension.umn.edu. So, yeah, that can be quite a devastating insect. So um, it's probably going to be insecticide use that's recommended there. Uh, But I'd have to look that up to get the timing exactly right. But you probably have the raspberry cane borer. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I know we have to break here in a couple of minutes, but I want to grab a couple more texts, then we'll get back to the phones. 
Uh, this texture says this, Mary, I just planted a royal star magnolia tree that came attached to a bamboo pole. How long do we keep the tree attached to the pole? One year, maybe? Well, it depends. I would take the pole off and see how it looks. It might not need the pole at all right now. Um, a magnolia tree really doesn't need uh, support. So I, I would try to see how it does without the pole. And um, then if you find it's really falling over or leaning to one side or another, I would I would put the some support on it. But we try to do this as minimal as possible with trees. Um, it's good for when they're getting uh, started. We don't want them to completely fall over. But it's really good for them to be on their own without support so that they build their own strength and flexibility. So I'd try it without it and see how it looks. Okay. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Bev, Bev is calling from Eden Prairie, I do believe. Bev, you're on CCO with Mary. Hi, Mary. This is Bev, and um, I love hibiscus. Uh, and in the past, I've always wintered them and took them back out in the spring. But the last two years, I've gotten white fly, and I cannot get rid of the darn things. And I was wondering, I've used bonite. I worked it into the soil, and then I went and I got a spray, and nothing gets those guys. Do you know what I, else I could do? No, uh, Pam, that's a that's a uh, kind of a dilemma because you sound it sounds like you've got a, a built population there with the plants that you have and that is is very difficult to control um, they have multiple life cycles a year they can be very hard to uh, control so um, they I guess, you know, one thing is you a, a few of those won't kill the plant, but if you get a lot of them, it can be a problem. So the most extreme thing would be to throw out the plants you've got and start over. The oh. other, on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum is just continue to put those plants outside and hose them off every few days completely with water and use insecticidal soap. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you for the call, Bev. And uh, Bev leaves that line open if you want to, instead of texting, uh, you can call in your questions, 651-989-9226, uh, or uh, send a text, same number, 651-989-9226. Let's take this break and be, be right back with more of Mary Meyer from the U of M and your lawn and garden questions on Newstalk 830 WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here, joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary, we have, uh, as usual, so many callers and so many texters. Let's uh, let's see who we can help out here. Let's grab a phone call first, and then we'll pick up on a bunch of text messages. Chuck is calling from Brooklyn Park, I believe. Chuck, thanks for waiting. What's your question? Well, thank you, and good morning, Mary. My, my question is about arborvitae. I've got a uh, columnar arborvitae that I planted 30 years ago. They've grown up beautiful. But this year, two things have happened. First, um, apparently, uh, maybe a squirrel or a chipmunk got to the top of one and maybe was building a nest, and they uh, chewed through several branches of the more, the, top, the more tender branches, and they fell through to the ground. The second thing that happened was um, the third 
stalk or the third section of the trunk, one of the arborvitaes decided that uh, something infected it and it turned brown and died. And I'm just baffled because they've grown up and been healthy for so long. So do you know what that could be that would cause the one section of it to die? No, no, I'm not sure what would cause it to die, but sometimes the the wind or something will actually break a branch off an arborvita just because of the weight of the, sometimes the snow on it in the winter or something just makes it weaker. So, again, that the brown section that's totally brown, you can usually find the injury and prune it off from there. Um, it is devastating when a big chunk of an evergreen dies, but sometimes it, it will rejuvenate itself and other branches will start to grow. So at this point, there's not um, a lot that you can do, Chuck, other than prune off what's dead. Well, it started at the very top, at the crown, and just seems to be working its way down. And it's maybe 25 feet tall. Yeah, but, uh, well, it it is possible it's an insect or disease. But in order to determine that, you'd have to really find uh, a half-dead, half-alive portion for a disease to find the disease damage that there are not many diseases that get on arborvita. The same thing with insects. There are not a lot of insect problems. So I, my guess is that it's more an abiotic thing, that it's more an environmental thing, uh, rather than an insect or a disease problem. For a large plant like that, the alternative is always to call an arborist because it's difficult for us as homeowners to see or get to the top of a plant, but an arborist can come out and they will often give you a free estimate for what's wrong with the plant or make a recommendation if it is an insect or disease pest for a chemical application. But so, yeah, an arborist is an, is an alternative as well. All right. Very good. Thank you, Chuck. I'll tell you what, let's uh, grab one more call, then we'll pick up on the text messages. Let's go to Good Hugh. Kay has been waiting there. Kay, you're on uh, with Mary. Hi, Mary. Yes. My problem is I had broccoli plants. They were beautiful plants. I put When I put them in, I put um, a protector over them like a plastic jug, and then I didn't think they were getting enough moisture in there so I cut this jug off and left them now it the plant it's just like somebody sliced uh through the core and I don't know what could that be a bug or um my son said it possibly could have been a drift of spray. So right now, um, I tried to brace them up because the wind, you know, we had that wind. I don't know if that's it. Wondering if you could help me out on that one. So if the, if the plant was cut off, there are some cutworm insects that will actually cut off the plant, but they normally cut the whole thing off. So it looks like somebody went in there and really, yeah, cut it off. 
and then often the plant is lying there. But it sounds like your plant is still attached, but it's in rough shape. And um, with the heat and the wind conditions that we have, it, we see a lot of that now with young plants and, and getting established. So I would say if it's still attached on this stem, uh, yeah, I would prop it up and uh, hope for the best. The protector in and of itself, as you described, because you took the top off, that should have been okay, really. However, if it was a cutworm or something, it might have made a better environment for that insect to live as well. But if the stem is somewhat attached, I'd prop it up and hope for the best. Okay. So you grab a couple of text messages before we take our leave today, Mary. Can I trim, Texter says, can I trim maple trees now? Uh, you you can trim maple trees now, yes. Uh, I would not trim ash or oak because both of those have the insect or disease issues that we don't uh, trim this time of year. But maple, it's okay. Okay. Uh, Texter says, I have a large area with creeping flocks. There is clover invading it. Will a broadleaf weed killer damage the flocks? Yes, and it will probably damage the flocks more than it will that clover. Clover is tough to kill, and broadleaf weed killers, it's, it's tough to kill clover. So um, that is a, that's really a hand-weeding issue, or perhaps digging up some clean portions of the flocks, remove it from the area, and then you can try uh, a herbicide on that. But um, yeah, the phlox is much more sensitive than the clover. Denny, okay. I wanted to follow up on the raspberry question. The caller with the okay. raspberry question, uh, that cane borer, okay. uh, once you see the adult cane borer, it's a sign that that borer, that adult insect, is going to lay its eggs. So, you can often find, and they make a mark on the cane where they lay their eggs. They actually girdle the stem in two places. So they make a circle almost on the stem, a circle that you can see in between those two circles. They lay their eggs. So hand pruning can actually remove a lot of the canes that the borer will lay its eggs in. So I think that was Robert that called that had, he described the orange head and so on. That's cane borer, very distinctive. But with some, uh, with some good detection, you can find actually where they're laying their eggs and cut those canes out. All right. We have about a minute and a half to go here, Mary. Uh, please ask Mary Texter says how I can share a clematis plant. It is well-established and abundant. Oh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Clematis, uh, well, tr division is the normally the best way we talk about, but clematis, I would look at that closely at the bottom. If you've got multiple stems, I would, you know, take uh, two or three stems that you cut the in the center of the plant, get the stems and the root, and give that to your friend. Uh, if you don't have a lot of stems coming out of the base of the clematis plant, then you could try cuttings. This is much harder to do. 
Uh, but I would try to vision, and I try to vision early in the spring before it starts to grow. All right, very good. Well, we are just about on time. It's really been fun getting uh, getting the crew back together again on this uh, Saturday morning. Uh, Mary, let's do this. Let's uh, give our listeners a chance to find that great resource, uh, the University of Minnesota Extension website. What is that again, please? Yes, extension.umn.edu, and then click on Yard and Garden. This is the time of year we want to think about uh, apple maggots. You can put your preventative things out for apple maggots and also look for squash vine borers. Those are two things that usually come up the end of June, but lots of information on all your garden questions at extension.umn.edu. Very good. Mary, it's been a pleasure as usual. We'll have another show again next week. Let's talk soon, okay? Good. Thank you, Denny. Thanks, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.